mute myself. There we go. So uh, welcome, everybody, to Rationalism versus Mysticism, episode 17, Prophetic Kabbalah, part three, the Kabbalah of Rabbi Abraham Abulafia. So, you know, again, every class I give, I, I laugh at myself for the complexity of the title itself. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're so many classes in, but I don't think that you really missed anything if this is your first class, because each, each class is kind of standalone in the sense that you can understand something, uh, you know, uniquely from that class. You don't, I mean, it's nice to have some background and things, but I hope to give you uh, information that is understandable in and of itself. Um, so what I like to do is, uh, and this, this is something that is unique to, to me, I guess, in this shul, is I like to create the atmosphere of the class, almost like a meditation, where, as we always say, listen less to the words themselves, listen more to the space between the words, and know that my words themselves are never going to be able to fully encapsulate the truth. David, I know it's amazing. I miss this guy so much. This guy is in Israel and he was listening to my classes. It's probably crazy to, to, to hear my voice in person. I'm glad to see you in person. Unbelievable. Um, so as some of you guys know, I like to start the class with some Eastern philosophy stuff just to give you guys a flavor of, of the way that that type of thought is. And then to show you, if I can, that the, the Kabbalah really has in it all this stuff and very often presents almost identical ideas, sometimes with certain variations. But just to show you that the, maybe the way that you were taught about Hashem or God or whatever that force is that's ineffable, that can never be spoken about, whatever you were taught early on in your life, this is a new way to shock you out of that and to put you back in a headspace where what they call not knowing mind, where you, you know, stop clinging to your prior conceptions and now approach the experience of right now anew. So um, listen to some of these quotes from the Tao Te Ching. First one is the world belongs to those who let go. What does that mean? The world belongs to those who let go. What do you guys think? Yeah. In a, in a way, if you're, if you're constantly trying and you're the one who's, who's really forcing it and, and you're, trying to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, as they say, it's not going to work. It has to happen through surrender very often. It has to happen through letting go, letting go and letting God, as they say in AA. Uh, next one, let it be still and it will gradually become clear, right? If you have uh, muddy waters, right? Imagine you have a, a cup or a pool with muddy waters. How do you get the mud out? A little kid might be like, okay, let's get the mud out. Let's, you know, hit the water and smush it around. But the real way to let it clear is to let it settle and then all the sediment settles to the bottom so just it's so beautiful because so often in our daily lives here in 21st century brooklyn we're running from task to task and we're doing so many different things but the best thing we can do is just be still oh so, I, yeah I, I, please sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to interrupt you please no I, I love it this is what we're here for yeah a different perspective yeah frankly i mean the world itself in many respects has let what's going on in ukraine and russia mm -hmm. Just go. Yes. Absolutely. So, so, we, we are watching it and saying, let it be still while people are dying. You're absolutely right. So, so, so it's not always yes, uh, yes. I, uh, appropriate just to sit back. A hundred percent. hundred percent. So the, the point that I've made in prior classes, and that, that's part of my apology is that, that I, that I, uh, it's hard to encapsulate everything that we've spoken about, but you're a hundred percent right. Is that there's the idea, even among those who consider themselves enlightened, that doesn't mean shev al-tase necessarily. It doesn't mean to not do the action. But it means that while you're doing the action, do it mindfully. Do it as a vessel of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Do it with the knowledge that you're just really a tool in God's hand. Rather than getting so lost in your own ego as you're doing it. Because the best results will usually be produced when the person who's doing them does it with the power of the river at his back or the power of Hashem in him, rather than saying, I'm going to do it with my ego, knowing that I'm self-righteously correct. I hope that makes sense. Right. But, but at the same time, the, the point is you should actually be able to discern the difference between 100%. whether sitting back mm -hmm. and allowing something to grow on its own mm -hmm. as compared to taking action. And that's the hardest challenge, unfortunately, for today's world leaders, mm -hmm. for the most part, who have done nothing. For sure. I, I agree. Yeah. It's a very tough situation. I agree. I think 
that the, the key for me is that when you do act, make sure that the action is not too reactionary, not too lost in emotion. Sometimes it's good to use the emotion to spur you to action. But I think the key of the spirituality here is to, that when you do the actions, be present while you're doing it and always be mindful. But I, I think we're on the same page. No, no, we are. We Perfect. are. And, and exercising wisdom is so essential in order to do a proper action. 100%. So, yes, you should actually uh, take a, a step back to some degree. Yeah. However, I mean, in this case, Joe Biden's government did, and by the way, I'm not anti-Joe Biden, no, yeah. he did predict that the war would occur right after the Olympics, hmm. and the intelligence was correct, but yeah. unfortunately, they did nothing to prepare for it. Yeah, it's tough. Which is, yes, I'm sorry. For no, 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 don't be, don't, no, it's, 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 it's all welcome, really, Listen, whatever I mean, you got to, whatever's on your mind. We just had uh, shootings in Eric Israel, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yep, I heard Which about so it. so sad. It's terrible. Yeah. You know, Zen, the art of archery. I've, like I've the, heard of it. It's a, the idea of doing while not doing. Like mm. you're, you're you're so in a flow that you're not really doing anything, but you're doing it. If you're so automatic, like, it's like exactly. It's yeah. not an action necessarily. It's it's just when you're doing your action, you're in instinctual you're with the Tao. Moving with the Tao, like you're, you're, you're in the flow. In the flow, and you're like um, standing surfs. Like I'm sure you you don't feel like you're putting so much effort into surfing. It's probably just like a a breeze when you like go right now. Well, it's more like driving a car where you have to look behind you, you have to look to each side, you have to look ahead of you, you have to look at your speedometer, you have to look at everything going on and you do it automatically. Right. For sure. Great, great points all around. We'll we'll move on to some of these other quotes. A great nation is like a great man. When he makes a mistake, he realizes it. Having realized it, he admits it. Having admitted it, he corrects it. He considers those who point out his faults as his most benevolent teachers, he thinks of his enemy as the shadow that he himself casts. So I think this is amazing because it starts allowing us, when, you, when you're able to put your ego aside, you see yourself, quote unquote, and the opposition as part of two sides of the same coin. And no longer do you fight against with you know, the other side too extremely. So I'll, I'll say it like this. If you fight against, uh, you know, uh, Germany in World War One, and then embarrass them, and then force them to pay reparations, and then completely make them you know, have a bouchard in front of the world stage, the pendulum unfortunately is going to swing back with a vengeance towards what we saw in World War Two. So I think the the message could be, when you deal with evil, deal with it swiftly, decisively. Don't allow evil to happen, but don't go too far in your attempt to quash out that evil, because if you try to embarrass it and bury it in the sand, it's going to come back with a vengeance. And I think, you know, part of the reason that what's happening in Russia, I think we had a futurist here on Shabbat who said that part of the reason is because it's a reaction to what happened, you know, in World War II, where Hitler was just able to storm into Russia and it caused 22 million Russians to die. So now this is the reaction to that, where in a you know, global historical trend, this group of people is so afraid of that happening again. So they're, they're saying we're going to react back with, with kind of aggression to create a buffer zone. So a lot of this is, and part of that is Russia wasn't in, included in uh, the League of Nations, or sorry, or maybe it was the uh, NATO or whatever the, the different organizations were that were set up. They weren't the main players after the war happened to determine how the world would be carved up after world war one or world war two or whatever it was great i, I like the idea that yeah. basically people surround themselves with naysayers or different opinions yes because absent those other opinions you're never going to have progress mm -hmm. you want to be able to challenge yourself you want to be able to you know address all the different opinions and possibilities Mm -hmm. and innovate that's the whole idea absolutely you're gonna you're gonna be stuck in an echo chamber otherwise there's no novelty there's no newness there's no ability to really open yourself to growing right absolutely 100%. which is unfortunately plaguing a lot of politicians who choose to surround themselves with people who just echo their own opinions for sure it's it's easy but it's not the right thing that's for sure um next one the master doesn't talk he acts when his work is done the people say, amazing, we did it all by ourselves. So I think that's incredible because part of the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is described is Hashem is like 
at, at the same time where we're here about God's gedulah, his greatness, in the same breath, we have to speak about his humility. So sometimes when a person is experiencing something mystically, they say, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing, that God is so intimately connected to the world around me. He's so much invigorating every particle in reality. And he's like the nitzots, like that spark in everything. And you could see it right there in front of you. But at the same time, God is so transcendent. He's so kadosh. He's so far beyond my comprehension. But it's because of God's transcendence and greatness and gedulah that he's also so intimately connected and involved to even the smallest thing and the smallest amoeba, smallest microscopic particle. So to me here, that's the same thing of when, when what's a great leader? A great leader very often is not somebody who is micromanaging. It's very laissez-faire. It's very much let it be. And maybe once in a while, turn one thing like one tenth of a degree. But most of the thing is just allowing it to play out on its own and then and, and empowering it all to happen. And then the, the, the people that are really carrying it out think, oh, we did this by ourselves. But the leader doesn't need to take credit. He doesn't, he doesn't lord it over them. And that's what they say about the Tao. And we could say the same thing about Akadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem doesn't need to lord it over us. Even before there was, uh, were people to praise God's name, God was. And he's not, he doesn't need us to praise him. But part of what happens is when we have this experience, we can't contain ourselves and we want to just praise. And then we become, when we lose our ego, we become like God praising God. You, God is using you as a vessel through which he's praising himself. And that to me is, is one of the levels that, that we mentioned in earlier classes, the Mikubali mentioned. When you perform a mitzvah, it's like Hashem is, is performing that mitzvah through you. And, and that's kind of the mindset to, to try to tap into whenever you're doing or speaking the Vre Torah. Well, God is putting you in different situations that he feels you should go through. There's no question. Mm -hmm. some, some might appear beneficial mm -hmm. um, and some detrimental. EO, did you ever, you read EO? Mm -hmm. So where the Malachim basically was saying, hey, look, let's challenge him because he has no respect and look what he went through. Mm -hmm. But he came through the challenge magnificently, of course, as we've yeah. seen. And so it, it actually ends up a very, very nice uh, result. Yeah, it, it is, it is uh, a very comp complex book for sure. And, and Eov, I think, is fighting against the people who are trying to justify the way things are in the world. And, and, and his, the, his righteousness is his ability to say, you know what? I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to curse God. But at the same time, I'm not going to accept anyone who says that they could read the mind of God. Of course, not. yes, right. but, yeah. but at the same time, whether or not Eov was a real story mm -hmm. or just a parable that he was that the Moshe was telling the Jewish people, yeah. to make them understand that their suffering is not completely without validity and purpose, mm -hmm. so that they could understand, they could understand, and they could evolve, if you will, to get ready to properly accept the Torah. Absolutely, yeah, I mean, uh, just a tremendous, tremendous, uh situation it's an amazing um, book but fortunately we do have yeah so god is here and you know it operates through teva olam mm -hmm. uh you know unforeseen un unknown and it's amazing and in fact i don't know if there was a book about how all the uh, 10 plagues in egypt yeah were actually explained by somebody through nature through nature absolutely 100 beautiful that's that's uh, i think it's all truth um next one the gentle overcomes the rigid, the slow overcomes the fast, the weak overcomes the strong, right? So it's, it's, there's a certain element here of softness and gentleness as opposed to rigidity. So we talk about how when people are surfing, I'm sure Sam, you could speak to this, if they keep their body too rigid, they're going to fall off that, that surfboard. But if they're able to stay loose and their muscles are not too locked, then they're going to be able to ride those waves properly. So one thing about, you know, modern Judaism is its ability and the halakha's ability to really adapt to the times in its own way through the system of halakha. Um, but I think on a, on a mystical level, what this is saying is you as an individual, we've, we've talked, about, talked about this language in prior classes, don't be too prickly. You have prickly people and you have gooey people, as Alan Watts says. You have people who are insisting everything is like a particle and electron is a particle. And then there's people who will say, no, electron is a wave. And, and the, the reality is more of just of a, a wavical nature and everything is, is more of a mush to it. 
And both are true simultaneously. But it's saying you as a personality, if you go through life very insistent and very rigid on how things need to be, you're just going to keep bumping against everything. Instead, just ride the waves and, and swim with the current rather than against it. Everyone knows that the yielding overcomes the stiff that, and the soft overcomes the hard, yet no one applies this knowledge. Everyone knows that, that this is true, right? That there's something about the, the gentleness of reality and, and, and your ability to be softer rather than more rigid, that that's more helpful for you in life. Um, but people very often don't live that way. Yeah. But a good, perfect example, and I'm sure he would have said the plant. The plant, if a plant was too rigid, mm -hmm. the wind would just destroy it. A plant needs to be able to sway. And yes, move. yes. Otherwise, it would be totally destroyed. And so, too, the mind of a human being, mm -hmm. being too rigid, Beautiful. will actually uh, effectuate its own uh, destruction. Absolutely. We need to actually be able to change. And uh, but it's it, unfortunately not everything in nature is the same, uh, has the same ability to change, um, such as birds going from the same derrick up back and forth, back and forth as they tra traverse the planet from season to season, yeah. which sometimes destroys flocks because they just can't seem to break out of that trek. Mm -hmm. And as a result, if food dries up because of human beings, basically they die along the way, unable to have enough food to stay over so it, it is a problem yeah but then again they just have a bird brain that's <laughs> true and humans we have neuroplasticity that's exactly oh. right when goodness is lost there is morality this is a maybe more of a controversial one, but i just want to explain that when when it comes to natural goodness we have this intuitive sense of what's good and but when you force people into a rigid set of beliefs and say you have to be moral that's the only thing that's left once you stop playing off of people's natural intuition towards good. So a lot of this is about the laissez-faire nature of things that when you very often, some of the time, when you allow people to go about their daily business and you don't interfere, maybe like on a governmental level or a teacher of a classroom, if you're forcing everything and micromanaging all of it, it's not going to turn out so well very often because that's too much morality rather than just relying on the natural goodness and the way that things work themselves out. The road you can talk about is not the road you can walk on. That's an interesting one. Um, that, that whatever we speak about is not necessarily what reality is, right? Reality can never really be captured with words. What you need to talk about is, is the idea that I don't know what I'm saying. You know, it's, it's important to point that out. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm doing my best in terms of connecting with reality and this road that that we're, we're talking about is not really what the road is the road is whatever it is you're just walking on there's a famous zen story i think where uh the zen teacher held up a stick and he said to the student what is this one student said oh that's a stick he hit the guy with the stick the other one uh he said uh what is this he says and he, he was just silent he hit him with the stick the other guy the, the other student he tells him what is this the student grabbed it from the master and hit the master on the head with the stick he says, okay, you got it. <laughs> so the, the point of which is the, the reality can never be spoken about. You should never attempt to encapsulate everything with words. Well, well the words, the reason why is because it's always, it's not about, it's not the thing that you're speaking about, but it's like the speaking itself. Mm -hmm. Everything is part of exactly. reality in the present moment. So something I wrote in a poem, like it's not the thing of what you speak. You can't speak it because you can't, you're, you're talking about something, but it's really the speaking itself and everything that's speaking with you, like the whole world is really kind of like speaking in the present. So you, mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. I, I think that, that reality kind of manifests itself into your words sometimes, like in this moment, in a mystical level, you could say, okay, my words, the vibrations coming out of my mouth is reality manifesting. Right now, that but that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody listening to your words will know exactly your experience. They have to experience it for themselves. I think that's the point. Well, but, but the, the whole point is what we see right now is just um, what we see through our understanding, our limited understanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, until the 1800s, until Anton von Leeuwenhoek invented the microscope, we had no idea that. It's mm. I mean, and of course, the first one was a court cell, as yeah. you may recall. So, but we had no perception of that. 
and we were missing aspects of reality, which we still are. I mean, most of matter, we always was wondering where was most matter as they perceived, as physicists perceived it, and it really is in space, well, but they didn't even realize it was there. There's so much that we barely know. Yeah. We're still at our infancy. So what we see through our eyes is just limited um, Absolutely. based upon our understanding. 100%. And that's why we don't really see reality fully and properly. Mm -hmm. But we do, we are able to perceive some of reality. Yeah. And we only evolved to see a certain cross-section of it, even within the visible light spectrum. That's exactly right. Okay. Final quote before we actually delve into prophetic Kabbalah. Clay is fashioned into vessels but it is on their empty hollowness that their use depends. Ah, I love this. It's funny because the, the, the Buddhist word for suffering is dukkha. Dukkha is, you know, when they say life is suffering, the word that they use is dukkha. Dukkha means literally it comes from the hole or the, you know, the hole in the wheel. You know, you have all the spokes joining to a certain place within the wheel. That's a hole. So, really the utility of the wheel depends on that hole in it in this case he's talking about the cup itself do you care about the clay of the cup no what you really care about in the cup is the empty space so it's funny because we always talk about yin and yang and reality itself what are you leaving out right now you're leaving out the whole emptiness behind your eyes right now you're seeing this whole movie playing out in front of you but what about everything over here and it's like, no, not the matter over there, the, the emptiness and the nothingness. Um, and it's that, you know, it's that hollowness and that emptiness that's a fundamental part of reality that we sometimes neglect. And I think the key is to become dwelling more as that empty awareness and that stillness. And when you're dwelling as that and you don't get lost in this game of and in this, in this world of form, it usually produces a better result for the world because it allows you to respond from a place of equanimity towards the world rather than responding from a place of being lost in the game of the world. Right, well, but to the point is, most of us actually allow things to fade out because we can't just deal with it. Our mind is at this point very, very limited in what we can do. So mm -hmm. most things, the door behind you, yeah. trees, uh, buildings, they become just part of scenery, even people themselves. If you walk through Manhattan, you're passing thousands of people and they all end up actually being scenery which effectively is nothing just empty space mm. we just ignore them other than that which we are focused on yeah. at any one time so a lot of things which have substance are actually just empty space for us scenery for that's sure it is. wow beautiful i love that it's that's great i mean it's uh it's a very it's a very important perspective to take i think as a human being to realize how much we don't know we don't see how much pain you yes I Mike. yes hi how are you I'm, i just jumped in so I want to just my just my thought. So the, the hollow, could the hollowness be sorry, I do you cut out? Um, we'll get back to you in one second. So I think he was asking and some I don't know his a connection. thought to fill. In other words, like you hear me or now? Uh, I hear uh, now I hear you, but uh -huh. sorry, you cut out for a second. So repeat your question. I guess it's no good connection. Is the hollowness? No. So, Erwin, I, 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 you're jumping in and out, but say it one more time. Let's try one last time to hear you. I don't know. It's a bad connection tonight, but that is the hollowness. Is the hollowness uh, a concept to be filled? In other words, uh, like a side. In other words, mm -hmm. is it hollow because? We should be filling it with something. In other words, it's not negative, it's a positive. Great question. I, I, I think that, you know, it's uh, there's a great, there's a song nowadays that nothing really matters, you know, and like, I love thinking about this idea. What is it? What is nothing? Nothing is no thing. It's that nothingness. And it really matters. It's making matter all the time. Yesh me'ayin constantly. So I always think about like, I'm probably the only guy who thinks of this. Nothing really matters. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that? Or no one cares. No one, the nothingness, the no one of Hashem really cares about you. So it's, it's funny how you could flip it on its head, all these, these statements of complete negativity and sadness. Nothing, the nothingness really matters. Right. It really creates. So in a way, 
it is filling the space of emptiness with all the something. But at the same time, that emptiness and that nothingness is still pervading everything and it's still a part of all of reality. Right. And why is it nothingness or emptiness? It's, yeah, it's, you're right. It has, it has a concrete, real presence. So I'm, talking me, right. I'm talking about that out of which, that out of which all this came, which is, you can't ever put it into words and, and any, even to call it nothingness is like a... Nothingness yeah. of creation. Yes. The source of creation, effectively. Exactly. Ways, which is very different than nothingness, which was more like a vacuum, mm -hmm. having nothing inside, even though yeah. we honestly not sure we even have a vacuum based upon our limited perception. Mm -hmm. And we, we, it's very hard to even conceptualize. It's impossible to conceptualize it because it's an experience to have once you completely lose that ego, you experience that infinite emptiness, that infinite nothingness. And there's an infinite peace to that. And people would say, isn't that so sad? And that's like, no, that's not that the point is, is that this, the person who thinks it's sad is this person in the in the thingness. But when that's gone, all that's left is the nothingness. And the little the secret is that that's already what is right now. Concurrent with all the somethingness. It's just a matter of where your awareness is at. And that's something that can only, can only really be experienced rather than, uh, than ever really put into words like this. So let's jump in now, finally, without further ado, the prophetic Kabbalah of Rabbi Abraham Abulafia. We mentioned last week, Rabbi Abraham Abulafia was a rabbi in Spain, um, and he was very influenced by the, uh, the, sorry, not the Kabbalah, the philosophy of Moses Maimonides of Harambam. And we know... Like uh, Nahmanides, like Haramban, he says we can achieve a state of otherworldliness in this world during life. This is literally what we were just talking about. We were saying that the nothingness is coexistent with the something at all times. All of this something that you're experiencing right now is concurrent with that nothingness. And that if you stay mindful of that during your action. So when I'm in the ER and I'm cutting that woman's chicken and I'm getting that guy's COVID swab and I'm taking this guy's blood, if I could be present with whatever's going on by being one with that emptiness, which sounds crazy, but dwelling as that and then watching as I do this stuff, that's the, the state of otherworldliness in this world in a way. And that's really uh, attempting to achieve a state of olam haba and olam hazeh, right? Olam haba and olam hazeh is the idea of feeling that peace, no matter what's happening in this world, because you're not identified with this ego, you're identified with that expansive infinity. Uh, Devekut says, Rabbi Abraham Abulafia is a prerequisite for, for, for prophecy. So having that connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which some might call mindfulness at all times, that's really the Devekut, will lead you eventually towards prophecy through the right channels. Uh, Rabbi Abraham Abulafia saw Harambam's rational explanations, get this, of the mitzvot as inadequate. Even though he loved Harambam's philosophy, he said Harambam's rational explanations of the mitzvot is inadequate. Why? Because it could be seen as grounds for bypassing all the mitzvot, all the commandments. So therefore, Rabbi Abraham Abulafia was really seeking more esoteric reasons to the mitzvot. Because if you write it all off as, oh, it's simply, uh, you know, just the explanation that I can give rationalistically, it's not never going to quite capture everything that the mitzvah possibly has to it. Um, and now I love this. this. There's an Aristotelian idea um, that we've discussed in prior classes. I think it's worth mentioning again. And David, you might know this from Rav Gedalia. God is the knower, the knowledge, and the object of knowledge. Or as Rabbi Rav Gedaya says, God is the dream, the dreamer, and that which is dreamt. So imagine you're dreaming, and you could go into the dream. So I think the dream itself is just the like existence of it, and that which is dreamt is the, the particulars of it. Exactly. So let, let's say you're dreaming, Mike, and you could visit one of the people that you're dreaming, and one of the characters, you could talk to them. And you could say, you know, you're just part of my dream. And by the way, people who lose a dream have done this. And very often they get angry, the characters in their dreams. And they say, why are you telling me I'm, I don't exist? I do exist. And like, you're a dream in the mind of God, in a sense. Right now, you are what God is dreaming up in this moment. God is both you, which is what he is dreaming up, the dreamt. He's also the dream itself. 
and he's the dreamer. So that's what Harambam probably meant by We know before Harambam, I think Ibn Ezra also mentions it. So it's an important idea. It's Aristotelian, but it's very mystical as well. Um, the mystic and the divine reach a level where there is no more he and he, right? Capital H, he and lowercase uh, h, he. But I and I, this is what we were talking about before. When you're doing the mitzvah, no longer do you feel as a separate ego doing the mitzvah for God's sake. What does that possibly mean for God's sake? You know, <laughs> now it's like I'm complaining for God's sake. But the point is, you are it. You, the real you is it, is all of it. And when you realize, you, by the way, you, have, you don't have to do anything right now for that to be the case. God is your eyes and is your nose and is your beard and is your everything already. So do we have our own will or is that so it's a very it's ineffable. I, I, I we like we say all the time, um, a, a mystic without a paradox is like a lover without his beloved. So the I developed in my own mind what I call like the law of paradoxes that unless you could land on paradox, it's probably not mystically true. Which is the funniest thing in the world. Like you tell somebody, how do you know it's true? If it's true and not true at the same time, then you know it's true. It's like, okay, how many times are we going to keep going in circles about this? But the point is, your will is God's will. And, and, and it's, it's this unbelievable dance that's happening. And then when you have that, that mystical experience and then come back into your ego. But to me, I feel like the Lord is a way to take your will and then align it with God's will. Mm -hmm, 100%. Make, but, but I feel like to say that, I mean, I, I guess it's a paradox. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not Mike. I've tried many times. There's no way of escaping it. So that's that's the that's my favorite parts of this class are when we realize, you know, I have nothing else to say. Now let me go to the next bullet point. Like the Tao Te Ching, he says, he who says it does not know, he who knows it does not say. And that's the point of all this is that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be spoken. And yet he wrote the whole Tao Te Ching because it's fun. And you can only point. That's yes. Words you can point to what you're trying to say, but you can never say it directly. The finger pointing at the moon. Right. Follow the finger, you see the moon. Don't suck on the finger. Um, <laughs> um, so the mystic becomes part of that eye of God, becoming himself divine, right? And you realize the whole time, oh my God, God was manifesting as me this whole time. And I, I don't mean that in a Christian sense. I really don't. Forgive me for saying that in a way that might sound controversial, but there's no other, this is the limitation of my words and my intellect, um, not, not an absolute truth. Now, here's an interesting quote. Um, this is from, I think, uh, Rabbi Abraham Abulafia, yes. If the mystic has felt the divine touch and perceived its nature, his name is like the name of his master God. For now, he is no longer separated from his master. And behold, he is his master, and his master is he. These are the words of Rabbi Abraham Abulafia. For he is so intimately adhering to God, Devekut, right? That he cannot by any means be separated from him. You're so already intimately connected with God. Every cell, every molecule, you can't escape it. It, it is you. He cannot by any means be separated from him, for he is he. Lowercase h to capital H. And just as his master, who is detached from all matter, is called the knowledge, the knower, and the known, all at the same time, since all three are one in God, so shall he, the exalted individual, the master of the exalted name of God, be called intellect, while he is actually knowing. Right. So while you're knowing, you're now going to be called intellect. So now, instead of David, we could call you Yadua. Or de'atzma, whatever. You know, we, you are that which God is knowing at that moment. And you experience it as that. Right? You experience yourself, your ego, your body, your emotions, everything as that's part of God too. And, and it's all continuous with the whole of everything. And you see, I know there's one guy who talks about, uh, he, he was a descendant of Holocaust survivors. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast. And he said he did, he did, he did ketamine. And he watched himself floating above Hitler as Hitler was delivering the, um, the, the, the speeches in, in Nazi Germany. And this person said, what did it mean to him? It meant to him that he wouldn't be where he is without all of that evil happening. And that was the scariest thing in the world. Because you now realize without the yin and the yang, you wouldn't be here. 
right? And we say, what do we say in, in the Birkot Shema, right? We say, Yotzer Or Uvore Hoshech, Ose Shalom Uvore Ra. I was waiting for somebody to fall into the trap. Exactly. It really, in Yeshaya, it's Ra, and the Hachamim had to change it to Borat But what does it really mean? God is the yin and the yang. God was the good and the evil the whole time. And, and it, it's ineffable at, at that point also. What do you mean God is the evil? To, so it's, forgive me. But the point is, you realize it's all this God playing this game with himself at the end of the day. But I feel like that's like the, to, to like kind of break it down and make it make more sense. I think you think of it as like administering angels that are doing God's will yeah. for him. Like he's elevated above them. And then we, we also talked about last class that in between, so they say, what's the distance towards God? They say, well, the distance towards this heaven, and then they say how many amot it is to each thing. And then they say, okay, the distance all the way to God, by the way, and then they say, how, how, how big is God? God is equal to the distance to get to God. It's like, what the heck does that mean? Well, the point of that, I think, is, I was just talking to Rav Gadalia today, is that the journey itself is the destination, is the journey, is the destination. So once you get to God, you realize he was the whole journey itself as well. Or like, and then they say, get this, what, and all these amot we were talking about, what is each ama? The universe itself. So it's all like fractals. Everything is contained in everything else. You can imagine like a square and then you keep going into that square and you see another square and that's when you go into that one, there's another square and then you... And it just keeps going fractals and it infinitely, infinitely, infinitely. And God is you and you are God. And it's all just this interwoven thing. And that's why he says when it actually knowing, right? Uh, you, you'd be called intellect while he's actually knowing that he is also the known like his master and that there is no difference between them. At a certain point, you realize I can't believe I got lost as this ego. I was just playing this game on myself this whole time. I was just playing a game and, and, that's why and I, you, you can't tell us to somebody who's in the midst of horrible suffering because that the best thing you, you what you want to do for them is relieve their suffering. What you want to do for them is help them escape their ego to now join with God and feel connected. And that's what we always talk about, you know, forgive me, but the, the psychedelic things for people suffering from mental illness. The point of it is to dissolve the ego boundaries and to connect them with that which is larger than themselves. So once you do that. The, it, it relieves a lot of their suffering and and it, but somebody who's in the midst of their suffering if you don't do it in an intelligent way they're just going to react a, out of anger you have to give them the empathy and the compassion and say i know you're suffering and i know you feel isolated and i and you are isolated right now and that's and, and i'm here for you and that's god talking to god and that's god taking himself out of the pit right human intellect is part of the overflow of the divine intellect. That's another way of saying this, that when you realize that you have this way of knowing that you know, that metacognition, that self-consciousness is God. And God is the one who's knowing through you. You're an aperture through which God is seeing. And like we said last time, everything that knows is the center of its own universe. The amoeba in its place, and the bacteria, and you, and the dinosaur, and everything that ever was experienced existence as itself, as the center of reality. And so do you, and so do I. There's like a million centers. I exactly. Think someone, um, Pascal, said something. The world is like an infinite sphere mm -hmm. of which the center is everywhere, and the circumference is nowhere. I love it. I love it. Like That's exactly everywhere it. Everywhere is the center Video. of being for each thing. But also the boundaries is, is not existing. That's exactly it, hundred um, percent. So you're experiencing your uh, uh, right. You are God experiencing Himself as a human being right now, and everyone always well, comes. That conflicts with the Jewish view. Right? So that was my next sentence. Yeah. But He's always transcendent above above any above yeah. everything. Yeah. Not only people of everything, he's transcendent beyond it. Mm -hmm. How can now we be it's like giving God a body? Good. So the, the best way I'll put it is like this. When you're speaking to egos, the ego needs to hear that. The ego needs to hear God is above you. When you're speaking to souls, the soul needs to hear you are a spark of the divine fire. Mm -hmm. I like that. And that's the difference. The Selim Elohim 
versus God is way above you. And I think at different times, we need to hear different things. We need to tell people different things. The worst thing you could do, and this is going to be my next sentence, is take all this as an ego trip, as a reason for saying, I'm God, I can do whatever I want. Let me go hurt, harm people. Not, don't, you know, don't go out and after this class and say, it doesn't matter. Anything I do is the will of God. That's not my intention here, of course. That's why some of this is like playing with fire, because people might take this as like permission to do anything. If you want to do that, you're going to suffer your own consequences. That's the point of it. But at the end of the day, yeah, there's no way of escaping the fact that whatever happens is, is, is in a sense, the divine will. It's very hard to, to, to explain it. Um, right. And uh, we, we talk, we keep saying divakut. Divakut is like that process whereby the human intellect is developed and refined throughout this storyline that the ego tells itself. Right. And this is a prelude to the ultimate reunification with God, right? So your ego is going to go through these experiences and patterns that probably repeat in different permutations over and over again until you finally get it. And then you're going to ultimately be reunified with God. And then you say to yourself, okay, did, did the story of my life really matter? Was it really meaningful? And then you say to yourself, well, it ended up being the thing that led me towards the place where I shot up and connected with God. So it must have been meaningful. But the irony is when you are now connected with God, you realize that was only relative reality. And the realist reality is the infinite space and spaciousness of everything. Um, so that's, the, again, the paradox between is it, does it matter? Does it have a meaning, egocentric meaning? In a sense, yes. And in a sense, no. In a sense, it's all infinitely, beautifully meaningful. And in a sense, it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing, as Shakespeare said, right? That it's, it all just is. It's the dancing strings of string theory. It's the vibrating molecules on one level. And in a sense, that's the best meaning to have because no longer do you cling to an egocentric meaning. If I am done with my ego trip, I am completely fine sitting here and saying, okay, I'm just the, the molecules vibrating. I don't need to have anything beyond that. The only reason you need to have an extra meaning, well, but do you care about me? It's like, no, you already are all of that. You're already continuous with all that. You don't have to worry. Does God care about me uniquely? Am I special? It's another thing people go through, right? We always go through uh, somebody's special training, right? You know, uh, and, and eventually, as you get older, you realize, okay, I'm not, uh, I'm special. I am special. We're all special. But everyone else is special, too. So every kid gets a trophy and that's a very big ego trip. I mean, that's a very big ego hit for a lot of people because they want to be special to the exclusion of everybody else. And it's like, sorry, Charlie, you know, everything in reality is unique and special in its own way. So that's where you take okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mike. So two yes, things. I, I, I love hearing your voice. Yes. Yeah. No, I just switched to my phone. Something happened to my tablet. I don't know. But no problem. So, so, so it's funny that you said that two points I wanted to bring out. There was a book, there's an incredible book I read many years ago. It's called the art of possibility mm. by uh, the Xanders. Uh, one, the woman's like a major psychologist and the, the husband was uh, head of an orchestra, the Boston, whatever made two. And they wrote, and in it, they said that in their teachings, that they would go into a class or in college or whatever, and they give everybody the first day an A. Wow, that's <laughs> great. And they said, and the performance level was off the charts because there was no, there was no, um, uh, what do you call it? anxiety to perform, yeah, anxiety. to perform. So that, that was an interesting thing. The second thing I wanted to ask you, based on all this heebie-jeebie presentation that you made, <laughs> is, is that, What's your prescription to untying the knots? Mm, wow. You know, so the best I can answer to that, I, I love that question. I always right. picture my heart having a lock over here. And then Hanina's heart and David's heart and Joe's heart and Sam's. Everyone's heart has like a lock right there. And like, like every lock and key and like your fingerprint, everything's going to be unique. So God is taking you, ID, on your own unique journey through life. And hopefully right. it's leading you from place to place. And eventually it's your prescription. What you had ah, today. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a master key. It's, exactly. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a custom key. Right? I, exactly. It's a custom key. 
And, you know, maybe maybe there are certain things that are like a master lock, you know, for certain people uh, that will unlock a lot of people. And I think religion is like that, you know, and. and Right. Good. That's a great point. Yeah, that could be that. That could be the key. That could be the key. Right. But but for me, part of my key, I hope, is is, uh, you know, uh, being a psychiatrist. For another guy, part of the key is doing music, writing music, you know, and for every different person you meet. And that's why I think it's it's crazy to try to impose your key on everyone else's. You're going to say, I know the key to unlocking. Oh, do you now? Your ego knows your ego's key. It doesn't know everyone else's ego's key. Right, right. True. That, true. that to me is the humility there is to say, I know what worked for me. And you could share that with somebody, but don't assume that it'll work. for you say it worked for me. Try it. Oh, it didn't work for them. Okay. They don't like, you know, being a psychiatrist. They like, uh, you know, they want to go into OBGYN. Not my cup of tea. Some people like that. It's beautiful. You're bringing kids into the world. Right. So it it was actually my kryptonite in medical school was OBGYN. I did okay, but it was fine. But it was a crazy rotation. Um, Right. So so I hope that answers it uh, well. That was a fantastic question. Um, Thank you. Of course. Um, so Divakut, right? It's the process we said that that is refining your ego over the years until you get this reunification with God. And that's why you end up being called Isha Elohim, like Moshe Rabbeinu was called Isha Elohim. And you become like a divine man creating worlds. And, you know, it's amazing to me. I, I had this thought. I don't know. It might be crazy, but could it be that on some level, if you really are in your realist reality, that existence you experience yourself as everything, as every human that ever, ever lived. So you will one day, the real you will one day experience what it was like to be Moshe Rabbeinu. And the real you will one day experience what it was like to be the amoeba. And, and every permutation and comedy you, could be, uh, you know. I think like, like children and babies, they look around and they see themselves not as a separate being, especially with their mother. Mm. Like they cry and they come and see stuff. And they're they have that innate connection to the world and i think that like if you look in the torah like the in Bereshit, um, you know like like children they were naked and not ashamed yes they were, they were so connected with everything and then actually the cherubim are the ones that blocked the way back mm-hmm. to the into that eden with the flaming sword i think that serves as a reminder of like try to get back into that natural oneness that you have with the world for some reason we retract our egos as we grow up and mm-hmm. it becomes more like centered in just one point. As yeah. We, we actually discussed this in a previous class, like maybe last semester, we talked about Freud and Freud's idea of the oceanic. And then the first experience of the kid when he's sucking on the mother's breast and he doesn't get milk. That's like the worst experience ever. It's like, I thought I was everything. I thought I was in control of everything. I thought I was Yodke Vavke maybe. And then it sucked on the, the thing and it didn't come out. And it's like, all right, I guess I'm not. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then there's the self-consciousness thing that eventually happens. And you, you, you know that you know, but now you know that other people know that you know. And now it becomes like you, you become aware. And mm-hmm. they knew that they were naked. Right? And I think that's the point is feeling naked and afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Your ego attracts into like your own yeah. physical body. Exactly. Like before, like it might have been expensive the whole room it might have been whatever you were seeing and feeling and the whole thing 100 so the point here is the liberation from self-consciousness to now being conscious only of god and that's what were the experience that we're trying to bring about through prophetic kabbalah and our idea we're talking about the knots the liberation from the knots that tie and bind the person's soul to the ego and to the temporary world so cutting away those knots and not in a sense to no longer be involved. We talk about tzaddikim, but tzaddik has to be involved. But that doesn't mean that you could be dis- you, you can be disconnected from your ego and from that place be involved. Uh, it's what the Easterners would call the bodhisattva, not like the Pratyega Buddha who goes off on his own and it, it gains enlightenment and doesn't come back. The, the bodhisattva comes and he's re-involving himself in the world. Um, and, and you have this immersive experience in the divine, this transformative experience, um, and eventually you want to pass along a, a message of that revelation. And the funny part is that they say you come back and you, you feel like you, you're like a person who has a great story on the tip of his tongue, but you can't really say it. You know, it's like you want to be able to put it into words, but it's almost like it was stolen from your mouth. Like they talk about Yaakov Avinu, 
on his deathbed when he says like he saw and then he and then he wasn't able to say it and then he died you know and like it's kind of like you want to say it so badly you want to express to the other ego it's just there you can't and they have to go on their own journey but you do your best and you say you're going to try to say the words that will open them up to letting go of themselves which is the most tricky thing in the world um be wary says of drowning in that ocean because when you as the drop return to that proverbial sea you, you might be unable to return to life in this world so this is I guess, simmering under the surface of a lot of our questions. We talked about pardes in the previous class, the, the four people that went into the Pardes. You have Ben Zoma and Ben Azai. didn't really turn out to a little, let alone Ahir. Ben Zoma went crazy and Ben Azai died. So the point, I think, is, of course, approach it with trepidation. Do it with respect of, of the environment and, and whatever you're going to experience. And do it in a responsible way and, and have that debriefing session with somebody that is uh, a guru or, or knowledgeable in that area. Right. Um, receiving the divine influx, they say, resembles a spring filling a great basin with water. Right. If a person not being properly prepared for it should open the dam, he would be drowned in its waters and his soul would desert him. Right, so I think this is really a powerful way. I mean, we always talk about water and Maimila Torah, and we talk about the drop returning to the ocean. Well, you got to be careful the way you do it. Otherwise, it might lead to some degree of suffering. Or beware of wisdom you have not earned. I've heard Jordan Peterson talk, quoting Carl Jung regarding, uh, and he used that talking about psychedelics. Uh, Jordan Peterson saying, a person should probably not do psychedelics if they're not ready for it. I mean, of course, if they're not ready for it, but because of beware of wisdom you have not earned. But then the psychedelic guy will say, well, it felt like I earned it when I, when I did the trip. So you have different opinions. Um, right. Uh, escapism. How about that? Of course, that's, that's a very common accusation of, of people going on these psychonautic experiences or having the mystical experience. They say, aren't you just escaping the world? Aren't you just you can't accept reality for what it is, the rusty beer cans of the world, the peeling paint in Harlem, the patient who just, you know, put their feces in a bottle and is squirting it across the psych ward at you. That's reality. Then they tell you, can't you just accept that? This is what I deal with. You know? <laughs> and then you say, well, if you really experienced the mystical experience, you would realize that that's the realest reality of all. And that the real escapism is coming back into this world and getting lost in it, right? It's an incredible thing. And, and that's the only response you really need to give them. And they'll, they might roll your, their eyes at you because they might never have had a real meditative and, and mystical experience with God. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People tend to like trace that feeling. And wasn't it? The, the cave dwelling Jews, what were they called? The Essenes? Essenes, yeah. They were also like more talking about this, and they were kind of like the escapists. They were living mm -hmm. in caves, and, and I think they had a much more mystical uh, view. Probably. So that's the thing. You don't have to cut yourself off from reality, but it is recommended that when you're trying, to, like, so maybe take, if you need to take a month, let's say I'm off now for two and a half months. If I wanted to, who could yell at me if I took a month before residency to go and not see, a, not see a soul. But then when I came back from that mystical experience after a month, I could be the best person I could be for every person that I meet afterwards. You can never really judge somebody else's experience. You know what I mean? But that's all valid points. By the way, it's 9.33. If anybody needs to go, please feel free. We did start a little bit late because of the other class. You guys mind if we continue a little bit longer? Good with all you guys? You guys, got no, you guys have nowhere else to be just like me. It's good. It's good. Um, Ah, uh, exactly. Where else? There's nowhere to go. Nothing to be. Nothing to do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we have these sophisticated meditative techniques that were developed for attaining prophecy, right? That that Rabbi Abraham Abu Lafia talks about. We'll maybe touch upon some of them. Some of them, according to Byron Sherwin, might have been slightly influenced or derived from Orthodox Christianity, Islamic Sufism, Indian Yoga. There might be certain things that were that influence this stuff, like religion never happens in a vacuum. But as Aldous Huxley, Huxley says in the perennial philosophy, 
very often the mystical truth comes from a whole bunch of different realities because, uh, sorry, uh, it manifests almost the exact same way within every religion. And that must mean that there is just an absolute truth to the mystical experience. Because if every human that never even spoke to each other from all corners of the earth has a tradition like this, it must be that there's something just real, about universal, literally by definition, exactly. Um, and the object of meditation for it to be Abraham Abu Lafia, for him, the, the key that opened up his lock was the Hebrew alphabet and the Tetragrammaton, which is Yod Kevavke, and different types of meditation. I know Rabbi uh, Arya Kaplan talks about, you know, chiseling out the name of God in your mind. Uh, and you could read the introduction to Jewish meditation from Arya Kaplan if you want to learn more about that. Um, but here's before we talk about a little bit more of Rabbi Abraham Abu Lafia, there's something called Shushan HaSodot. Shushan HaSodot was written by a, name, uh, a guy named Moshe of Kiev, of all places. Uh, you know, of course, Kiev has been invaded. Um, and this yeah, is, no, no, they, they actually are backing away from Kiev. Wow. But they never Hashem. really were able to conquer the city. Exactly. It's amazing. We have footage right of the, of the airport and they're just being rebuffed, yeah, initially is. at least. Yeah, they are actually, who Still. knows, Putin, I'm sure, is really ashamed of himself. because Baruch Hashem. I mean, because he, it's a big failure. If he's, the toppling of a giant ego. No question. He, he, everyone thought he was just a, such a, had such a superior military. And mm. here it is now, everyone's predicting he has as many as 15,000 people who died, eight generals wow. who have been killed. Crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. It, well, they're fighting for their lives. It's truly amazing how they really are putting everything into it. Rabin Bayad Meotim. Seeing women throw Molotov cocktails. Wow. Did you see some of the videos? I, didn't, I haven't really seen. I need oh, to watch more But at them. the same time, you have a grandmother saying, you can't come here with kids, and the tanks will just run the grandmother down. Oh, my God. Horrible. It's, it's horrible. It really is. It's horrifying. And then we're talking about, oh, you really are the good and the evil. It's very hard to take that mindset. So I'm not telling you not to get involved in some way, but that's the, that's the challenge is with, if we find a way to really, you know, do what we, our part and somehow helping. I agree. Beautiful. So uh, Moshe of Kiev has this description of Ablafian prophecy. What does he say? Great is the power of the prophets who make the form resemble its former. Right, that the prophets, the Nevi'im, are able to make the, the homer, the physical reality, resemble Hashem or the former, or maybe not even the physical reality, maybe even just the, the words that they use. The Binatan said, The complete secret of prophecy to a prophet is suddenly he sees the form of his self standing before him and he forgets his own self and ignores it. And that form, speaks with him and tells him the future, right? So he has this out-of-body experience where he sees his self, whatever that means, I don't know if it means his physical form, speaking with him, maybe telling him the future, maybe telling him some deep truths about reality that only his personal ego journey up until that point, this is exactly what he needed to hear to jump out into God, that unique ego. Um, psychedelics also have been described uh, in this way of allowing the person to see themselves from the outside. That's really interesting. Incredible. It's wild. I'm, and you're able to see yourself from an outside perspective somehow. It's, it's an unbelievable thing that's described. It's amazing. It'd be Abraham ibn Ezra. Uh, he's the, he says, the one who hears at the time of prophecy is a human being. And the one who speaks is a human being. How amazing is that, right? The one who hears and the one who speaks is a human being during this time of prophecy. So the prophecy is happening. You're like the one, the, vo the voices that you hear, you now, I, let's say you're listening to a recording on a psychedelic. You start hearing that voice of the recording as being part of yourself. And you're the one hearing and speaking at the same time. Somehow, that's that's the way it's described. Um, two more, two more seconds, and then we'll get we'll do a minyan. Um, oh, they're leaving already. All right, I guess you wanna you wanna make an announcement. Oh, he's getting people. Okay, great. We'll just. Can you get some more guys for our We have five. Oh, we're ready to go. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, thirty seconds.
One day I was sitting and writing down a Kabbalistic secret when suddenly I saw the form of myself standing before me and my own self disappeared from me and I was forced and compelled to cease writing. That was, you? That's, that was me. That was myself. He's in the middle of writing and he says, all of a sudden, I saw myself standing before me and he says, I had to stop writing at that point. And what they would do is they would first uh, um, write down the letters and write down the stuff. And that was part of the meditation. And then that would lead them to the contemplation. And last quote, and we're done. Likewise, while we were composing this book and adding the vowel points to the Tetragrammaton, which is God's name, strange objects appeared before our eyes, like the image of red fire at sunset until we were confused and stopped. And this happened to us several times while we were writing. So they saw these unbelievable lights and things happening as they were approaching this level, and then they had to stop. Visuals. <laughs> exactly. So it's an incredible thing, guys. Thank you very much for coming. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mikey. Have a Thank great you, night. Mikey. You're a superstar. Alamak. You're the best. I'll catch you later. Have a good okay. week. Take care. You Bye -bye. too. Bye.